morning everybody and uh, we're going to take up our Bible reading in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll read uh, the first 11 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's love. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You however are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Well, um, I think it should be fairly obvious uh, what we're going to be speaking about today uh, as we've read down this passage. Uh, We're going to be speaking about God's spirit. In fact, God's spirit in the life of people who are Christians. I mean, if you were to count the number of times the word spirit is used in these 11 verses, it comes to 11 times. 11 times in just those few verses. And if you put that in the contrast of the first seven chapters of the book of Romans... The Spirit of God is actually only mentioned three times in seven chapters. And now we have 11 times in 11 verses. So clearly, this is what we're speaking about today. Now, Romans 8 is perhaps the high watermark uh, of the entire book of Romans. In fact, some people would even argue that Romans chapter 8 is the high watermark of the entire Bible. I mean, it's so full of joy... Um, It's so full of triumph. It's such a positive passage. I mean, it starts off in verse number one with no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And it ends up at at the end of the passage talking about no separation from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You can hardly credit that it's the same person who wrote Romans chapter 7, who is now writing Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7 ends up with him saying, What a wretched man I am, 
Romans 8 finishes up with him saying, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So it's a tremendous passage that we have before us. And what it's really doing is it's teaching us, it's a practical thing. It's teaching us about how the Christian life is to be lived. And as you know, we've, we've covered a number of very key points that are part of this, that need all to be held together at the same time. Brief summary. Chapter 6 told us about the importance of what we know. You know, that we are identified with Christ. Our status and our position in Christ, if we, if we believe in him. We've been justified. Romans chapter 7 has told us about the importance of recognizing the reality of our sinful nature that is still with us. Right to the end, it is still with us. We need to know that. And now, in this chapter, we are introduced to the crucial teaching about God's Spirit and His working in the life of the Christian. Now, from the point of view of experience, chapters 7 and 8 are not sequential. You know, it's not like, oh, chapter 7, Paul was having a bad day. You know, I'm a wretched person. And then I'm feeling a bit better in Romans chapter 8. That's why he's so triumphant. They, they are concurrent as far as our Christian experience is concerned. They, they are there at the same time. They are different aspects of the same Christian life. There is the ongoing fight against our sinful nature, the flesh. But at the same time, there is the reality of God's Spirit who is within our lives. And that is what has made all the difference when we, in a sense, travel from chapter 7 uh, to, tra- to, to, to chapter 8. Now, there, there are four things um, that I want to talk to you about this morning uh, regarding uh, God's Spirit. And the first of them uh, is the Holy Spirit and life. And I'll spend more on this than I will on the other one, so don't, don't get worried if it seems to get nearer the time Um, so let's look at verse number two the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death now just want to point out that that's in the past tense he has set me free god's spirit has set me free there there is this law this principle this power of, the, of God's spirit that is immensely strong. We know that the, the gospel is described in chapter 1 as the power of God unto salvation. We know from later on in this passage at verse number 11, it was the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. And that same power is what is available to Christian people who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. God's Spirit, the Spirit, the law of the Spirit gives life where there had been spiritual death. In the same way as, as God breathed into to Adam as he lay there, fresh from the dust of creation in the early chapters of Genesis, but just as a structure. 
God knelt down and breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. And so at the point of conversion, when someone has placed their faith in Christ, God's spirit gives us spiritual life, takes us from the position of death to life uh, as far as God is concerned. And that is the reality. That is the absolute reality for every Christian person. That is what distinguishes and defines what a Christian is in contrast to anybody else who walks the streets of our city. You'll you'll have noticed that in the reading. In verse number 9 it says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That is what defines a Christian. The spirit of of God, the spirit of Christ lives within them. Now, you know, what lives within you? You go and get your MRI scan or or whatever, and, uh, you know, your, your spleen and your liver and all the rest of it is picked up, and that is within you. But if you're a Christian, there is something that no scan apart from God's eye can pick up, because the Lord knows those that are his. And he knows that pervading Christian people, influencing their minds, their hearts, their decision making. There is the presence of the Spirit of God. Not an influence, not the force be with you, but God as a person, by his Spirit. The God, the creator of heaven and earth, by his Spirit, indwells every person who has had faith in Christ. That is the game changer as far as the Christian life is concerned. Because it it means that I no longer am just kind of huffing and puffing and trying my best to be a good boy in the Christian life and failing miserably. The thing that makes the difference is that God, by his spirit, Christ, by his spirit, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, reside, make their home, dwell, live within The person who has faith in Christ. And of course the Lord Jesus taught extensively about this. This is not news. If you want to read about this later. You read in John chapter uh, 14. And you read in uh, John chapter 16. Because the Holy Spirit is involved in, in all aspects of the Christian's life. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people of their sin. Who makes, makes people realize, I have sinned before God. They're not blasé anymore. They don't just whistle down the street with their life. Whistle into the wind. They suddenly become aware of their guilt and their sin before God. And it's God's Spirit who impresses that upon them. John 16 also teaches us that the Holy Spirit's work is to reveal Christ to people. The majority of people look on Christ and there's there's nothing attractive. There is no beauty in him that they should desire him. The Spirit's job is to shine a light not on himself, not to take center stage himself, but to shine the light on Christ so that people understand The worth and the beauty and the value and the glory 
of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ for who he actually is, God over all, blessed forever. And the value of his death upon the cross at Calvary, of his body that was given, and of his blood that was shed. People naturally have no insight or understanding of that. It is only God through his spirit who opens our eyes. Again, another reference, if you want to check these and read it later on, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where it talks about there are things that the natural person cannot understand because they are spiritually discerned. You might get the brightest boffin that there is, and, and they may not understand the discern the realities of, of the gospel. In fact, Jesus prayed once. We read one of his prayers earlier. He had another prayer. You read about this in Matthew 11. He said, Father, I, 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 I thank you that you have revealed these things unto, unto babes, unto children. And, and yet you've withheld them from those who are supposedly wise and prudent. And, 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 and the simplest child can understand the truths of Christ, his cross and his gospel. Because the Holy Spirit can reveal that to them. And that is the function of God's spirit. He applies the work of, of God's son to our lives. Now, that's past tense, in a sense, in this passage. And, 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 and here is the work of Christ that the Holy Spirit applies. Let's, let's look at uh, verse number three. This is what God has done. And what the spirit applies. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now there's a couple of things I want you just to pick up on here. Very careful language that's actually used in this verse. Because it says first of all that he sent his own son. You know there's, there, there's, there's a sense of endearment there. Sense of of affection, of, of, of closeness. He sent the best. He sent all that he had. The best of heaven. Not an angel, not even an archangel, but, but he sent his son, his own son. And you see that in contrast with a, a verse that is, is later on uh, in the passage where it says in verse 32, that he did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. And then look at what it says. It says that he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It doesn't say that he sent him in sinful flesh, because Christ was sinless, he was perfect. He had no sin at all. That's why he could become the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for sin. But he did come in flesh. He wasn't just an apparition or he wasn't just God living within some human shell. It was a real incarnation when the Son of God 
took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now, if you study this a little bit, you see some of the other translations, some of the people who know the original languages, they say that probably the correct translation of that verse is this, that he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. As a sin offering. Now what that means is it's, it's, it's casting their minds back to the Old Testament. You read about something that is called the sin offering in the book of Leviticus chapter 4. It was one of these sacrificial animals, ceremonials that um, took place in the, in the Old Covenant. It was, it was for a particular occasion when sins were committed. Some of them sins in ignorance. And there was a particular setting and arrangement where the sin offering was given. And it was offered to placate God. To satisfy God that payment had been made for sin. And and that picture is is taken over and, and applied to Christ here. He was sent as a sin offering for my sin instead of me. The body of Christ for me. His blood for me. The Lamb of God. And, and all these truths. The Spirit of God takes. And opens our eyes to. And convicts us about. And applies it to the, the hearts and the minds. Of Christian people. So they can see the worth of this. And so they believe it. And they trust in this. That's past. That is the work of the Spirit. If you like. In the past. As far as Christian people is concerned. But let's now look at um, the present. And the present tense is this. We're looking at point number two now. We're looking at uh, the word walk. And you'll see that that word comes up in verse number four. Where it it talks about uh, people who walk... Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that word walk is pretty much similar to what we then get in verse 5 and 6, where it talks about living according to the spirit. Living, walking according to the spirit. And that's the whole point of this passage. This is not just some armchair theory stuff. This is, this is practical stuff. It's not, it's not just talking. It's about walking. It's about really living in a particular way for God. And it's described as walking according to the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who gives us power to change our lives. You may remember after the resurrection, Acts chapter 1, that um, the disciples were told that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, 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 and these men were changed because of that. And that is what happens in the life of, of Christian people. Their lives are changed and, and they walk differently. Now, just one thing to point out in this regard. It says there in verse 4 that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk 
not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Up until now in Romans, we've been told that we can't fulfill the law. We're powerless to do that. We don't have the ability to keep God's law. And the law, in a sense, leads us to Christ, like a school teacher leads you to the school. The law is our schoolmaster that takes us to Christ. We can't do it ourselves. We must turn to Christ. But then Christ takes us back to the law. From the point of view that now through his spirit, the spirit gives us the ability and power to walk that way and to fulfill the law in the way that we couldn't fulfill the law before as far as the way we live our lives is concerned. Now the key, and we're now on to point number three, the key to how I walk and how I live is my mind. It's my mind. And now we're talking about the third point. We've got that in verse five. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. How how do I actually do this? I mean, it's telling me to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. I'm not quite sure every day how I should do that. Well, here are a couple of points that I've found helpful and straightforward. Point number one is this. What, What we have to remember is that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. I mean, if you go to the last verse of First uh, Peter, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, it says this that, and it's talking about how the Bible came together. That holy men of God, all these people, your, you know, your Zechariahs and your Ezekiel's and your Jeremiah's and your Matthews and Marks, holy men of God, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As they wrote the words down. Didn't originate in their own heads. The spirit of God. Influenced them. And gave them the very words. That they put down. And in that sense. The Holy Spirit. Is the author of scripture. And so if I am to set my mind. On the things of the spirit. Very practically. It means I set my mind. On the Bible. And I read the Bible. And I recognize as I read the Bible that this is the very words of God's Spirit speaking to me. We don't have to read reams of it at one time. Just read very small parts of it and think about it. Let it soak in and let it churn over and and meditate. And God's Spirit, and you will He will lead you and He will control you. You see, Christians are told that they have to be filled with God's Spirit or or controlled by God's Spirit. And this is the way that we are controlled, by allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That's a very practical lesson. and, And we should be intentional about that, to be led by the Spirit. Because the opposite is true. It says that we're not to set our minds on the things of the flesh. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
mean, if I set my mind on trash and trivia, all the celebrity gossip and all the kind of stuff that is just milling around, the stuff that's hostile to God, I won't, I won't be walking according to the Spirit because my mind is not set on the things of the Spirit. Second practical point, by the way, is this. In particular, that point that the Holy Spirit shines the light on Christ. I've come to glorify Him. The same way as John the Baptist said, it's not me, it's Him. Behold the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does not want to take center stage. He wants Christ to be glorified. So when I read the Bible, I in particular should be thinking about Christ. What it says about him. How I can think about him. My heart and my affections can be drawn to the greatness of Christ. And for him to fill my mind and to fill my heart. And to consciously have that approach as I read the Bible. To look for Christ and to pray that God's spirit reveals Christ in all his wonder and his glory to my heart. And again to be intentional about doing that. That is the mind at a practical level being set on the things of the Spirit. Now finally, the last point is, is resurrection. And that's down at uh, the final couple of verses. It says in verse 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And, and I mean, what a morning that was, wasn't it? Easter Sunday morning. The empty tomb, the stone rolled away, the folded grave clothes, the, the soldiers like dead men, the, the bewildered women and disciples suddenly now realizing that the Lord that they thought was dead and buried and brutalized has, has now been raised, raised from the dead. And what we are learning here is it was the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the same spirit that lives within each Christian. And what that means, the implications of that, we're now in the future. It's quite interesting how we see the work of the spirit in the life of the Christian, past, present, future. What that means is this, that there will be a day when he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's a wonderful hope. It's a tremendous hope that these bodies of ours might well decay into dust. But there will come a day when Christ returns because the Lord knows those who are his. He knows. And, you know, there's a verse actually in Ephesians chapter 1 that describes Christians as having the seal of the Spirit. You know, in the old days, they had the, the wax seal with the kind of imprint. You know, this was the emperor or the governor or whoever, the stamp of ownership. Well, the Holy Spirit is described as the seal of our inheritance. And God sees that seal. He knows about that. Every Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
And that means on the day of Christ's return that our mortal bodies through his spirit who has dwelt in them will be raised up incorruptible when Christ returns. Wonderful. We were out for a run yesterday and passed cemetery in Bankery where Angela's aunt was buried. You just think that particular portion of that particular place, one day the, the ground will be torn aside as she, among others, who believed in Christ through the power of God's Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will raise them too. What a wonderful hope that is. No wonder the tone changes. No wonder Romans 8 is the high watermark of Romans and perhaps the Bible. No wonder the early apostles were changed from timid, feeble, failing individuals to courageous, bold people who turned the world upside down. This was all through the work of God's Spirit within them. This is the tremendous message, the tremendous reality of practically living for Christ. It's a recognition of the work of the Holy Spirit and life of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. May God bless his word to our hearts. And shall we we pray? Lord, we're so grateful for the reality of what we've been thinking about, the wonderful gospel of Christ, and how his gospel is applied to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We pray for all of us today that we might be possessors of the Spirit of God, that we might believe in him, have, have the conviction of sin that he brings, have the understanding and the revelation of Christ's glory that he brings, that we might see Christ in all his sufficiency and live and walk according to the Spirit. So Lord, we pray a blessing upon all of us here today that the Spirit of God takes this word and applies it to all of our hearts as we ask in Christ's name, amen.